Hey, it's Jay. This is Unthinkable. And I have an aha moment to share with you today. Just going to, I'm just going to sit down for this. Let's see. Okay. I've got my coffee right here. Just one sec. Mm hmm. And uh, got my little notebook. Microphone's sounding good. And we're going to figure some stuff out today. Okay, so first, I got to be honest with you. I've been doing this show for just over a year, and I've always struggled to figure out what binds listeners together. You and me, you and other people who listen, what do we all have in common? And I recently found that thing and wanted to share it with you today. Any guesses about what it is? It's not a profession. We've got marketing, book authors, HR, software engineering, jazz musicians, teachers, lawyers, you name it. It's also not an experience level. It's not like someone is junior or senior in order to listen to this show. I've talked to students trying to land their first internships and chief technology officers or chief marketing officers, even a few CEOs with decades in business. No, it's something much harder to see until you really know someone, which is why it's taken me so long to figure it out. It's a desire, the desire to do great work or viewed from the negative, it's a disdain A disdain for all the hollow work that most companies send spinning into the world. My point is, I know you're not the kind of person who aspires to do average stuff. Now, maybe that seems kind of normal when I say that. But today, it's just so easy to be average in our work. See, if there's a new trend that we have to figure out, or you have a big question, or you're doing work ahead of a stressful deadline, maybe, any number of sources exist online for you to instantly access to push forward. Literally, billions of sources available in seconds. And that's wonderful, but suddenly we have this ability we didn't have before. If you don't have an answer or an idea, you can find and follow everyone else's. So, it has never been easier to be average. But if there's one thing I've realized about you, all of you, it's that you don't take that path. Not if you can avoid it, not if it's up to you. In a world really full of generic advice presented like gospel and more and more every day, I know you want to desperately avoid doing more middle-of-the-road commodity stuff. Me too. I totally get it. It's why I get up in the morning, it's why I do so much public speaking, and it's why I do this show. And now I realize it's what binds us all together. Now, that that feels good, right? I mean, I even made it feel more good with some with some dope music here. Hashtag podcast life. <laughs> but but it's really hard to build a successful anything just because you feel good about your aspiration to be great. Just because we want to do something exceptional instead of average, it's not enough. We have to actually do it. So here is my question to you. Now what? If all that other stuff out there, all the lists of generic advice and the secrets shilled by people on stages or in books, all that stuff only gets us to average, what can we rely on to go the rest of the way? In other words, how do we go from average to exceptional? And how do we tackle this problem without just coming up with yet another list of tips and tricks and steps that if we all followed, we'd all end up average ourselves? I can't just give you like a blueprint because that's more average stuff. So today, I want you to listen to the story of Mike Brown, the founder of Death Wish Coffee. 
This is a story that we first told on the show in November of 2016. And it's taken me months of doing this show to really understand what we can learn from stories like Mike's and people like him. Now, I'll be back after the story to share what those things are. But for now, really listen to Mike's tale and try to pick out the things that took him from average to exceptional. Mike Brown used to be an accountant, so he was used to counting beans, just not these kinds of beans. After leaving the industry where he'd worked for years, he'd open his own coffee shop. And after a few months struggling to run his own business, he realized, I need to go talk to people who, like, know a thing or two about coffee. I need some people who understand the best practices of my industry. And almost everybody that Mike spoke to said the same exact thing. Oh, my sweet cream and sugar, no. I can't believe you're doing that. I can't believe you're roasting Robusta coffee beans. You got to stop. They're always looked down on in the coffee industry as, you know, tasting like rubber, cheap beans that, you know, that they use for instant coffee. Well, I, I found a good supply of organic Robusta beans, and that's what I started using in my coffee. And that was his problem. Mike was doing something completely opposite the best practice in the industry, and he had no idea that he'd done that. But thanks to seeking out all these experts and getting set straight with the best practice, he knew, okay, don't use Robusta coffee beans. Not if I want to find success. From there, Mike started turning things around in a big way. Today, he runs a mini coffee empire called Death Wish Coffee. And customers love their product so much that several even got tattoos of the company's logo. We love those guys. We give them like lifetime discounts of the product. As of 2016, the brand has hundreds of thousands of followers on social and earns millions of dollars a year in revenue. At one point, Good Morning America even called up Mike and said, Hey, we hear you've got some great coffee. Can we come shoot a video in your store about your product? And Mike said, yes, you can come and shoot. And we can talk all about how we make our products and built this passionate group of fans and earn millions of dollars in revenue every year, all by using Robusta coffee beans. So I had my coffee shop before I started Deathfish Coffee, and I pretty much ran my coffee shop into the ground. Like, I, I didn't know how to run a, a brick-and-mortar store, and it's expensive, and there's a lot of overhead. And I wasn't very good at keeping track of expenses and revenue. Regardless, there was, I wasn't very good at it. So he did what many of us would do. He searched for some best practices. And everybody advised him to stop roasting those darn Robusta beans, along with dozens of other suggestions for fixing his operations. And as the advice mounted, Mike grew more than a little bit concerned. I actually painted out this worst-case scenario. If I lost everything, if I lost all my savings, and I, you know, I had to you know, sell my house and sell my car, and I had to, you know, what, what would be my worst-case scenario? He figured, God forbid, all of that does happen. My mom still loves me. I can move back in with her. And that's exactly what happened. The exact worst-case scenario that happened happened. It actually was even a little worse than that because I had to borrow money from my mom to like pay my employees' bills. And that's at that point when I hit like my absolute low. Like, I don't know. I felt like I needed that. First, he committed to learn more. He said to himself, I have to work harder. I have to read more books. I have to learn more and be better at what I do. Second, he committed to reflect more. 
He was informed by what others told him or what they said in their books or on their blogs, but he needed to let that simmer. He needed to think more about what he believed and how all that education he'd received applied to his situation. For instance, yeah, in a vacuum, most people would not have used those Robusta coffee beans. But Mike claims he found a great source of organic Robusta beans and that he also personally liked the taste. So his situation was was kind of unique. And, you know, it had that really deep, robust flavor and it had that that high caffeine content. And I, I just ran with it. I'm like, hey, this is what I like, you know. I tried it out. Like, this is what I like. Um, maybe there's some people out there that will like it as well. As the coffee shop continued to struggle and Mike kept learning and reflecting, he noticed a similar question cropping up from his customers, a lot of which were hardworking, blue-collar people. What's the strongest cup of coffee you can make? I'll have that. They were like the truck drivers. They were the construction workers. And, and I don't know, I did, the product just seemed to get geared towards them and that, that image. And now it seems like we have a... I don't know, we, try, we try to like fuel people with a lot of passion. That became Mike's mission. How could he better serve these passionate people? He knew Robusta offered a higher than average level of caffeine, and so he started tinkering on the roast and the blend until he could market his product as the world's strongest coffee. Experts and best practices be damned. That's the thing about coffee. Like, There's tons of coffee people out there who are experts who... You know, really think coffee should taste a distinct way, but, you know, it's all a preference, a personal preference. And both he and his customers preferred theirs strong. So he could sell the stronger and stronger stuff in the shop, and once he perfected the blend, he could put that potent stuff online under an equally potent name, Death Wish Coffee. We sold one bag a day. I'm sorry, like one bag a month, and then we sold like one bag a week. And then I remember bringing like two bags a day to post office and I was like, oh, this is the most amazing thing ever. And pretty soon I had actually hired someone to help me out with the social media side. And I'm like, oh, this could be a real business someday. And then over the course of four years, you know, we had a Super Bowl promotion. Yep. You heard right. This is the guy that couldn't keep one coffee shop afloat who had to sell his house, move in with his mom and refused to follow the best practices of his industry, and that guy wound up with a Super Bowl ad on TV the day of the big game. If you want to see the actual ad, it's hilarious, check your show notes for the link. But for now, here's what their Viking-themed ad sounded like. The day of reckoning is upon us! My brothers, what is life if not to die a glorious death? Fear not! Death Wish Coffee, fiercely caffeinated. And of course, his business exploded. Here's what happened Intuit held a contest for small businesses to win a Super Bowl ad. You could submit an application and then rally people to vote for your case. And the winner got their own spot plus the creative, paid for by Intuit. 15,000 companies entered, and then one day, Intuit arrived at Mike's shop, telling them that they had won. My whole team was there. Boy, we put a lot of emotion in. It was kind of the focus of our business up for the, for the, like, the last four months. And we kind of all broke down, cried, and partied, and laughed, and hugged, and it was the most emotional thing ever. It really was. It really was cool. Actually, there's a video of it online on YouTube. 
Um, or you can just see my whole, oh, I just almost fall my fall to my knees and my team comes around and we hug and pop champagne bottles. It was cool. It was really amazing. Today, Mike's shop in Saratoga Springs is thriving and Death Wish is even bigger. They sell all kinds of coffee and branded merchandise. And at every turn, they've done things just a little bit differently than what some industry guru would have advised. A lot of these coffee shops and these coffee businesses, you know, you know they go to coffee trade shows and they set a booth to all these coffee trade shows. And I think that's the dumbest thing ever. We, 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 we all attend coffee trade shows to see like what's up and coming, but we'll never set up a booth. There. But we set up booths at Comic-Con. We set up booths at beer industry events. We set up booths at tattoo conventions. You know, we set up booths where people are excited to see us and we give out tons of free samples and make tons of customers and make a lot of relationships that way. It's tempting to write off Death Wish as a brand focused on a niche, and that's why they could do things against the best practice. But hundreds of thousands of followers and millions in annual revenue, all created from an initially struggling business, doesn't really sound all that niche. Mike Brown will be the first to admit that he knew nothing about coffee when he started his business. And although he worked hard to learn a ton about the industry, he always stuck to his gut and questioned what others said he was just supposed to do, that he had to do something, something that they all had done themselves the same exact way they'd done it. Mike questioned all of that. I think anytime you're acting out of the norm, people notice you and people notice you, especially if they like what you're doing, definitely a good thing. All right, so present day me is back again, and uh, I actually got another coffee while you listen to that. It's not Death Wish, though. I actually really tried it. True story. I tried Death Wish coffee, and it's about as powerful as drinking a Red Bull or a five-hour energy, but in coffee form, both in, in taste and in the energy it provides. And if you know me at all, if you've listened to the show at all before, you know I have enough energy already. So after I tried Death Wish, I basically felt like I was going to vibrate off the planet. All right, so back to my, my regular coffee here. <sighs> Some good stuff. So what do you think of that story? All right, this phone connection sucks because I can't hear you at all. So let's just get something straight. Mike Brown was tanking his business, tanking it, making all these wrong decisions. And the top decision that experts said he was making incorrectly he actually continued to do. He actually used that incorrect mortal sin to turn things around. And he grew an exceptional brand as a result. Every single expert said, do not, under any circumstances, roast Robusta beans. But something, I don't know what, his gut, his taste buds, something was telling Mike that he should keep on roasting those things despite all that expert advice. And it worked. So, uh, why? Well, let's, let's just retrace what Mike did. When he first started turning things around, he began with an aspiration. He said, I'll create the world's strongest coffee. And that aspiration gave him a sort of filter through which he could make sense of the world, right? That's what an aspiration does, I think. I want to go over there. You're telling me to do something. And so I can decide whether or not it helps me go over there. Yes, no, somewhere in the middle, I can decide whether or not to listen to you and to what degree based on me knowing where I'm trying to go. In the case of Mike, one area where he did listen to the experts was to focus his product lines. He whittled them down to fewer products. 
that generalized advice is something he then contextualized through the filter of his aspiration, his aspiration to make the world's strongest coffee. So Mike scaled back his products. At his absolute worst, he was selling 25 types of coffee. And, and I don't think you're ready to hear this, but he sold 200 types of candy. 200 types of candy. It's one coffee shop that he started with. He could not say no to any customer request or an idea that he had to sell something to improve his bottom line. But to create the world's strongest coffee, he can't keep doing that. Experts said so, and Mike agreed based on his aspiration. That bit of advice actually made it through that filter established by his desire to create the world's strongest coffee. However, what didn't make it through the filter was to switch from Robusta to Arabica. Almost every reputable coffee brand that you've tried roasts Arabica. Now that you know that name, start looking for it on cups and signs. You'll start seeing it everywhere in subtle places all around different coffee shops and coffee cups. Arabica is the standard. Robusta is a no-no. But Arabica got stuck in the filter of Mike's aspiration. Why? Well, Robusta, when roasted, yields a higher caffeine content than the other stuff, and that's pretty useful if your aspiration is to create the world's strongest coffee. Deathwish's dark, aggressive branding also makes it through the filter of Mike's aspiration, and it ends up wildly different in look and feel than the average coffee shop or brand. Really just take a moment right now and think about some of the coffee logos that you know. I'm picturing, for instance, Green Mountain Coffee, which is a friendly green oval with a bright yellow outline, or Dunkin' Donuts with bright purple, pink, and orange lettering, or my favorite coffee shop up the street from my old apartment in Boston called Three Little Figs. Even the name gives you an idea of what it's all about. It has this hand-drawn logo, colored light brown or beige, as, as if it's on some old wrinkled parchment paper. And then there are three little figs, sketched as if by hand, with a wavy, playful font reading the name of the shop. All of these things have something in common. They're light, they're playful, warm, maybe artisanal. But is Death Wish? No. Deathwish's logo is a jet black circle with a thin red outline surrounding it in a menacing way. In the middle of that black circle, there's an angry looking skull and crossbones. It's unwelcoming, almost frightening. You could easily picture this flag flying on a pirate ship, or maybe a Viking ship, as the Vikings awaken and welcome death. So why did all that matter, all that stuff that Mike did? Well, the point here is that an aspiration to do something exceptional, especially one you can articulate and define, helps you make sense of all that endless advice out there, or all your external or internal inputs, all the things that go into making a decision. You make sense of the world a lot easier if you have this forward-looking aspiration. The point here isn't to ignore others' advice. It's not to throw out the best practices, but instead interpret them appropriately for your own context. 
instead of reacting to everything others are saying to just to keep up, oh, yeah, I got to do what the expert's saying. Oh, I listen to Jay's podcast. I should listen to what he says. No, you need to be proactive instead of reactive, pressing each of those things that inform you through a filter. One reason we love following the guru or the list in today's society, or we love asking others on social or on search what we should do, is that we feel we're at an information disadvantage. Something out there is the truth, and there's so much changing in our world that I have to cling to it. But the truth is really your own context, right? It's you, your company, your team, your, your current moment in time. All of those variables roll together to create your current context. And everyone's context is different. So all that quote-unquote truth from experts is really just generalized advice. It's a fine place to start, but it gets you to average. And if we can rethink those generalized bits of advice using our own context, if we can press that stuff through a sort of filter then we can think for ourselves instead of falling back on average advice or practices. So the question I'd ask you is, in a world full of everyone else's best practices, what are the right practices for you? What is your aspiration? In other words, what is your Robusta coffee bean? Mike's aspiration created a unique context, a context that he could use to make sense of the vast amounts of information being thrown at him by focusing more on the context. All right, so that's the first thing he did. Why else did this unthinkable thing actually work? In addition to his aspiration to create the world's strongest coffee, Mike also dwelled on that simple question he heard from those few customers. They were asking, what's the strongest cup of coffee you can make? And most of us would simply respond with the coffee and send that person on their way. An easy response to an easy request, right? But Mike instead asked a simple but powerful question. Why? Why does that customer want a stronger cup of coffee? Why does that person enjoy Death Wish in a way that someone like me who loves artisanal coffee like this one? Why does that person want such strong coffee? And that person might respond by saying something like, well, because I need more caffeine than the average cup. So now Mike knows that, okay, it's not stronger coffee the customer wants, it's more caffeine. But why? And that person might say, well, because I need a ton of energy during my day. Got it. So you don't want stronger coffee and you don't want more caffeine, you want more energy. Makes sense. But why? And there you might actually reach the truth. That person works insanely hard. That customer was a truck driver. He wakes up at three in the morning, drives crazy distances away from his family to support that family, driving to random places through terrible weather. He works so hard that you might even say he works himself, oh, I don't know, to death. And boom, that is what the customer is really after. Mike's customer isn't after a stronger cup of coffee or more caffeine or even more energy. Mike's customer wants the ability to work himself practically to death. It's what they want. So it's what Mike sells. Mike wasn't spending all his time wondering about the kind of bean or color scheme or marketing tool or any of the dozens of business decisions that he'd eventually have to make. No way. Mike spent a ton of time at first learning about the problem that he was out to solve. In other words, the reason that his business exists. And as a result of that customer focus, the customer focused a lot of their time on Death Wish. 
all of Mike's followers love sharing their content and love sharing little messages when they get a delivery of the product. And they kept buying that product and they voted Death Wish to that number one spot to win the Super Bowl ad. So why did that matter? What can we learn from Mike here? Well, for starters, when you focus more on serving others than yourself, others end up focusing on you, which in turn gets that self-serving goal met. So oftentimes in our work, we have this end result or metric or plan, and that's a fine starting point. But the path to achieving that end result must involve our audience, a customer, a boss, a client, whomever. Mike thought deeply about his customers. He met with them. He asked them a very simple question, why, over and over and over until he reached the fundamental truth of what they wanted to buy, the ability to work insanely hard. They aren't buying coffee, they're buying that. Nobody buys a better pillow, they buy a better night's sleep. Nobody buys sales enablement software, they're buying something else. What? You have to find out. It's the benefit people are after, not the feature. So ask yourself, why? Why do we always spend way more time learning about business or our jobs than we do our customers? In other words, what is your death wish insight that you can pull out from talking more to your audience? Okay, those are the first two things. Mike had an aspiration, that's where he started, and to inform the success of that aspiration, the fulfillment of it, he went and talked to customers. He asked why and got to their fundamental truth. But there's one more thing we can learn from Mike. In addition to the aspiration and that fundamental insight, Mike also switched his focus from succeeding to learning. It sounds trite, doesn't it? But when Mike started out trying to succeed, he sold 25 types of coffee, 200 types of candy, and he tanked his business. But then he switched to learning, and he did so through a single test, and everything got better. And the way you test something is by examining what constraints are in front of you. Instead of running away from them or fighting them, look at your reality and understand what constraints you have, and then embrace them. Create a little test within those limitations. So Mike said the following, I'll create one new roast with one trait, the most possible caffeine, for one type of customer, that hard charger he loved serving, to try and sell one bag every single week, sometime within one year. Those were his constraints, and he embraced them, and that helped him find the path to success. He hadn't reached the mountaintop, but he did find the best path to start his climb. And he looked for a small number of people reacting in a big, big way to what he'd made. And when he found that, he leaned in. He scaled it up. And today, Deathwish sells tons of products to tons of people. So, so why does that matter? Why does it matter that Mike embraced his constraints and looked for a small number of people reacting in a big way? I think it's because when we make the process of our work the entire point, not the end result, we tend to get better end results. In past episodes, we've called this being craft-driven. Mike tested his way forward to learn, not to find final success at first, but a signal of it, a sign that he was on the right path. And once a few people reacted with passion to his product, he knew he had done the hard thing, creating something people actually want. And then he leaned into that direction with all he had. Mike paid more attention to the process of how you succeed than on reaching final success right now. 
You know what it's like? It's like, uh, remember all those toy cars we had where they would wind up, they would kind of click back if you pulled them back and you'd release them and they'd zip away. I think what we normally do in work is we put that car down on the table and we just yell at it, go fast, or we start flicking it forward with our fingers. And then we get frustrated when it doesn't go really fast or it didn't go in the right direction. But the problem isn't the car. The problem is the way we approached it. We didn't take the time to pull it back, to wind it up, to be thoughtful about where we're going, to make the car a thing that is capable of going fast or straight or true. In the case of Death Wish, Mike had an aspiration. He started by serving others, and he made the process the point. And he did all of that by roasting that bean that all the experts said, no way, no how, no can do. So, sure, on average, roast Arabica coffee beans. But Mike didn't aspire to be average. Like you, Mike was trying to be the exception. So if that's what you share with Mike and what you and I share together, then how do we do it? What is it that makes us an exception? We all have it. We've all heard of it. But until this very journey that we're about to start together... We haven't tried to make it practical. Any ideas what it is? Your intuition. But more on that next time on Unthinkable. Unthinkable is hosted and written by me, Jay Akunzo. Editing help this week from the great Josh Cole. And support for the show comes from uh, my wife, my dog, my friends at Monumental Shift, and of course, you. We haven't thought about actual sponsors to support the show yet, but if you're interested in a partnership, hey, give me a shout. Anything is possible. I'm Jay at unthinkable.fm. Be sure to subscribe to Unthinkable wherever you get your podcasts, and definitely check out the Monday morning email that I send this coming Monday. You can join that at unthinkable.fm. Each week, I share the episode plus some bonus content that only gets into the newsletter. And once a month, I also send out a sign-up form for one-on-one video calls with me. We talk about the stuff we learn in the show and usually wind up chatting about a ton of other random goodness too. That's unthinkable.fm to subscribe. You can also book me to speak by visiting my speaker page at jayakunzo.com, or you can use that email again to email me about that or really anything. I'm jay at unthinkable.fm. That's the show this week. And hey, don't just listen to me. Trust your intuition, okay? But more on that next week. For now, here's some space to feel stuff. Feel stuff.